Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today, Sarah, I'm going to tell you where did Cotton Eye Joe go. <laughs> Great. I've always w- wondered where did he come from and where did he go. Well, and when we started our podcast, I specifically made our website, whereedoesitpodcast.com. But then there's we also own the domain, whereedoesit.com, just in case. And in case we ever wanted to do a podcast of where does it come from. Oh, cool. But then every time I think about that, I think about where does it come from? Where does it go? Where does it come from? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where did Cotton Eye Joe go? In short, in summation, and then you could just skip to Sarah's part in 15 minutes if you want. Uh, he went to Tennessee or he was an enslaved person who was sold to a very far away location from where the singer met him. So I'll go through where, where Cotton Eye Joe, the song came from. I was going to say, this is a real person. Uh, probably not, but it, it might be loosely based on a person, but it might have also oh, okay. just sounded good as a song. <laughs> and the it's a very old folk song, and it originated almost certainly with black enslaved persons in America. Okay. And then over time, white people co-opted black music. No! Uh, right? It was transferred over to minstrel shows as minstrel shows popularity grew. But then once minstrel shows became rightfully passe, there were occasional regional covers or arrangements created for the song. And then it had a very weird renaissance with the Swedish techno pop group Rednecks, which is (laughs) a version that people are very familiar with, seemingly worldwide. Another reason that Cotton Eye Joe was a pretty popular song is it it resulted in the creation of several different line dances, both partnered and individual dances. And I was actually taught a Cotton Eye Joe line dance in middle school gym class. What? Specifically to go with the Rednecks song. (laughs) (laughs) So that's still a thing. So the first known published version of the song is from 1882 in a book by a woman named Louise Clark Pinnell, It was a nostalgia for pre-Civil War South Alabama. And it was said to be sung by an enslaved man named Sambo. This is really unlikely as Sambo is a very common stereotypical enslaved person and enslaved man's name in white generated literature and media about enslaved black men. So it's. I had always heard that it was like a derogatory name for an enslaved person. Yeah, it's not. It's not something that black people would have come up or used themselves, most likely. Okay. So this woman probably has heard the song and then just sort of white womaned her way through <laughs> remembering it and liking it. And then it was has been mentioned in magazines as early as between 1874, 1884, but not the lyrics. So the lyrics were first known to be published in 1882. And it was called an old familiar song in 1874 and in 1884. So it's definitely a pre-Civil War song, definitely about enslaved black people. And then it depends on the aversion as to whether there was more black or white influence in the lyrics and the writing. 
And and that a lot had a, probably a lot to do with who was writing about what when. Uh, it appears in several compendiums of Black American folk songs. In 1922, the Fisk University professor Thomas W. Talley includes a version of the song that says that Cotton Eye Joe had been sold down to Guinea Gall instead of going to Tennessee. And so I, I tried really hard to figure out what that meant. And so Guinea Gall, G-U-I-N-E-A space G-A-L-L, is referencing Senegal and Guinea in Africa. So it's referencing Western Africa or Senegal, one or the other. And the implication being that Cotton Eye Joe was sold very far away because it was a slang term used for, hey, that's very far away. Might as well be as far as Senegal or Africa. In uh, 1925, Dorothy Scarborough indicates she learned the song from an old man from Louisiana who had learned the song from enslaved persons there. The first known record cut of the song was in 1927 by the Dykes Magic City Trio. Anina Simone actually recorded a version, and she was speak as if she had been speaking to Cotton Eye Joe, as if they had been lovers and then broke up. And she recorded that in 1959. I love Nina Simone. I had no idea she did a version of Cotton Eye Joe. I know, right? All I all probably people of around our age and possibly later than that are gonna think of is the Swedish pop group. <laughs> I I hate that song. And well, and it was. You're not the only it, one. It was played at my prom like three times. Oh, I'm sure. It was so awful. I was taught a dance to it when I was 12. <laughs> okay. All told, according to deaddisc.com, there have been at least 130 recordings since 1950. It's number 942 on the Roud Folk Song Index, which is an index of around 25,000 folk songs in the English language. And there was a, a renaissance earlier than the Rednecks 1995 renaissance of this weird song. It was featured in the 1980s movie Urban Cowboy. And then the Chieftains, the Irish musical group, and then Ricky Skaggs did a collaboration on the song, and they were actually nominated for a Grammy in, I think, 1992. So it's a super popular song in Texas, apparently. It's sometimes considered the anthem for South Texas. And then finally, you know, Rednecks. And... I said Tennessee, and I'm not going to read out the lyrics to this song because there's a lot of them, a lot of different varieties. A lot of them involved stereotypes and caricatures, and it's just not a very, uh, it's, it's had enough sort of historical influence in terms of slavery and stereotyping black people and also stereotyping just the ways people in the South speak that I don't feel comfortable just sort of reciting the lyrics. But anyway, he went to Tennessee with the girlfriend of the guy singing the song. And the song was actually recently featured as pretty much the only song in the score for the movie Swiss Army Man. And that's because, as one of the directors said, it's it, they were just wondering what it would be like to score a movie with one song that was just the worst song. <laughs> so... That's where the song has gone. It's an anthem for South Texas. It's used in contemporary movies, the Rednecks version specifically. And then Cotton Eye Joe himself 
either went to Tennessee or was sold as an enslaved person to a very far away location. Huh. And that's the that on that. I had no idea there was all this backstory. Right? I thought it was just that terrible song. I had no idea that there was more to it. Wow. Yeah, it's been a pretty in, uh, surprisingly enduring song for one that isn't, you know, it's it's about a guy whose girlfriend runs off with someone else. Or about a guy who knew a violinist who had a violin made out of the wood from the his son's coffin which doesn't actually make sense to me because wouldn't your son be buried in his coffin why how would well, how would you get a violin of wood it's got a violin sized hole on it <laughs> i guess <laughs> oh no so strange it's not a historically meaningful song it's not a song that is referencing any like large political movements or any sort of it's not religious it's not some sort of epic ballad it's a it's a dance song that has endured for basically 140 years huh (laughs) various iterations (laughs) I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Huh. And I honestly actually like the song. <laughs> the red. The, the, the red, the Swedes, ver- the electronic one. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know it's absurd, but I kind of like it. You can like whatever you want. <laughs> I could. You do you, Emily. <laughs> I could cultivate a little better taste than enjoying Cotton Eye Joe, by the way. No, like whatever you like. Okay. That's to you and all of our listeners. You do you. There's only one you in the universe. Do what you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to talk about landfills Ooh. and where do they go? Because we've talked a lot on the podcast about where things go. And a lot of them sadly end up in landfills, but we haven't really talked about landfills in general and where landfills go when they're done or when they're full. So I found a few estimates of how much trash the average American person generates. And the one that seemed the most cited, and according to the EPA, is that Americans generate about four pounds or two kilograms of trash per person per day. Oh my gosh. And that's... That's about 228 metric tons of garbage per year. Uh, only about a third of that gets recycled or composted. So that's a lot of trash going into landfills. So landfills as they are now are great inventions and are much safer than how we used to deal with garbage. Generally, people just threw their trash out wherever they happen to live. Mm-hmm. But they dug a hole, put it in a hole. They threw it in the street. You know, they burned it in their yard. Oh, we have um, a landfill. Not I shouldn't call it a landfill, but a little garbage dump at the highest point on our land mm-hmm. from the fifties, where they just buried all their glasses, like glass trash and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's actually pickers will go out in the woods and look for old. Nothing grows there. And look for old glass because you can find antique glass that way. People just used to bury their trash in their yard before there was like a huge consumer push for a lot of disposable goods. So I I heard, I saw this cited 
on a YouTube video I was watching, a guy said that the city of Athens in 500 BC decided to move their trash to a mile beyond the city because invaders could use the piles of trash around the city to scale the city walls to get in. <laughs> the trash was so high that they that invaders could get into the city so they decided to move it outside the city so you know trash was piling up even though there wasn't like a huge consumer disposable consumer goods there were still people were still generating trash so throughout the years many cities just had their trash out in the open for anyone to pick through and so we started moving as the population grew to better use of the land and use of landfill technology. So when we decided decide to open up a landfill, sites are evaluated by experts. Sites are evaluated by experts when um, a site is evaluated to be used as a landfill. And so geologists, hydrologists, waste management experts will decide on a site to hold a landfill. Um, fortunately, because of recent environmental issues, particularly with wetlands, and we talked about this in one of our episodes when we talked about the syringe tide. Do you remember oh, that? Yes, <laughs> they actually, there's more string, stringent EPA and federal and state guidelines of how you have to consider the impact on the residents and the surrounding environment before doing, uh, putting a landfill in a place. So that's very good. Mm -hmm. And I didn't notice, but certain landfills are meant only for certain trash so that's why when you go to your local landfill there might be sections you have to drive to depending on what type of garbage you have like construction debris will go one place household will go another and hazardous waste and uh, appliances will go in another place I didn't actually know that I get it makes sense it does I didn't know it either mm-hmm so once the site is evaluated, like I was talking about, and approved with all the permitting, the site is cleared and graded, not like graded like it gets an A, but graded like they they basically leveled the land and angle it, basically. So it's graded at an angle so that the liquid can collect at the bottom. Then a few phases of liners are put at the bottom of the hole. It's basically building a big pool for garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, the bottom layer is a special expanding clay liner. Then a layer of high-density polyethylene is put on top of that. And then this cool geotextile layer is put on top of the polyethylene layer. So the fabric, fabric is rolled on top of the two layers, the clay layer and the um, polyethylene layer and it's sewn together in place with a giant like sewing gun you if you should really look it up it's really pretty cool I watched them do this in a few different YouTube videos and it was really fun wow yeah it's like this huge sewing machine like on a saw handle it's actually pretty cool this is really cool. <laughs> I was like I need one of those I don't know why but I do <laughs> So the textile lets the garbage soup <laughs> through, but protects the two layers underneath it. So it's permeable. Um, so it can collect at the bottom. I'll tell you why in a second. So after the textile layer, the, there's a gravel layer that uh, they put on top. 
for drainage. The last layer is layers of soil so that trucks can drive over it without damaging the um, layers to protect the bottom. And along the bottom, and this is why drainage is important, there are pipes to collect the yummy garbage soup that collects at the bottom called leachate. The, the pipes collect the leachate and then filter it, and then it's pretty much treated just like uh, sewage wastewater. So here, uh, I know it was mentioned in Wake County, it goes to the uh, sewage wastewater treatment plant and the same for Durham County where we are. Mm-hmm. So often there is a groundwater monitoring system, I don't know why I can't say that word, to make sure that there are no leaks of toxic garbage soup into the groundwater. Nobody wants to drink garbage soup. <laughs> I and mean, ev- people were trying to drink the, the sewage water out of that out of that sarcophagus that they found. I don't. Yeah, there's that. But we are not going to recommend that you drink anything. <laughs> Here's a new one. Don't drink the leachate from the garbage from the landfill. Don't ever drink anything called leachate. good point so everyday workers and their trucks at the dump cover the garbage of the day with ground up construction debris they might use like water to um, make sure the dust is down they might put tarps on top of it basically they're making a garbage seven layer dip at the landfill (laughs) 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 and the and the layers are to, to are done to cut down on odor to make sure mice and vermin don't get in. It's just a bit better. The garbage seven layer dip. There you go. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> there are also gas wells installed on the landfill to collect the methane gas that collects as the garbage decomposes. And so once the landfill is full, this is why I was talking about this. It is covered again by whatever the regulations of that area determine. But generally, it's just like the bottom. It's There's a clay layer. There's a polyethylene cap. And then it's covered with multiple, multiple layers of soil. The groundwater continues to be monitored, I saw, for 30 years or more just to make sure that it doesn't leach into the groundwater and you're drinking garbage soup. Wow. Yeah. And the methane production increases over time as things decompose and it's it's um, collected and some sometimes it's used as fuel um, or sometimes it's destroyed if there's just too much of it. So that that was kind of cool. That is that that seems like an um, astonishing amount of follow through for a country that can't get their stuff together. Yeah, I think I think not wanting to smell the landfill or be near a landfill is generally like the whole reason for this. Nobody wants to live near the dump, so they try their best to make sure that we're not poisoning ourselves, even though we all love poisoning ourselves, apparently. <laughs> so after a certain number of years, the goal of the property is generally to be used as green space. And one video suggested that motocross, there was a video that I watched from making a landfill in Hawaii and how they capped it. It suggests that motocross seems to be very popular on these old sites. Wow. So apparently, apparently in Hawaii, they put motocross on old landfills. 
Right on. Yeah, I thought that was cool. But generally, the the desire is to make that green space and, or parks at the end and let um, the land kind of go back. So this is something that you've mentioned before, Emily, and we've talked about this before. Landfill mining. Yes. Yes. So this is probably the future of landfills. So in Austria, there's a lot of different technologies are being tested to see if we can mine our landfills and take stuff like industrial debris like metals and different plastics out of them and reuse them. As well as Belgian researchers are studying chemical processes, how we might recycle and reform different debris to be used in construction. So in Belgium, they are working on this, uh, they take the old slag, so they take garbage and they burn it like you would in a smelting kind of process. Oh. And then they qu- they quench it and make this plasma rock. And this plasma rock, they, they, they then ground down and make environmentally friendly concrete into it. <gasps> I love it. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. There's a lot of different research projects going on right now um, throughout the U.S. and Europe of how to go into landfills safely and reuse this stuff in them and reform them and reuse them again. And from the things that I was watching, this is actually, they think it's pretty much the future. It's more of a circular economy of going in and, you know, because we throw a lot of stuff away and we have for a long time that can be reused. So I thought that was really cool watching these videos and and there it was mentioned that in many places in Europe it will probably become a reality in the next 15 years that they're they're going to be doing this more and more once we figure out how to do it safely and, and sustainably. Right on. Yeah, so landfill mining is a thing. And I know that you've talked about it. You're like, yeah, it's probably the future. You're actually right. It probably is the future. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> I like that a prediction that will probably be fairly constructive is <laughs> one that's coming true. Yes. That's nice. That's uh, That's awesome. Yeah. And that's where landfills go. And I kind of talked about where they come from. I just gave a background of landfills very very brief well it's helpful in terms of understanding like what is going on underneath the you know capped landfill exactly (laughs) the motocross event the motor what's going on under the motocross event and it also made me laugh that it um one of the videos said a lot of them become uh golf courses I think it's hilarious because I think golf is garbage anyway. (laughs) Me too. I think it's an appalling waste. I actually tweeted that from our account without checking with you. uh, Oh, you did? Yeah. I think golf is, it's what did Mark Twain say? It's a good walk wasted. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, (laughs) a lot of land, a lot of golf courses are located on former landfills, apparently. Good. I mean, you know, (laughs) and motocross the land than. Um, you know, using land that isn't a former landfill. Mm-hmm. That's true. So yeah, that's where uh, that's where Cotton Eye Joe went. <laughs> and landfills. And landfills. <laughs> <laughs> I like this episode. Yay! <laughs>
you can you can find us at where does it podcast.com you can email us questions comments concerns at where does it podcast at gmail.com uh, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes if you have a ch- get a chance. But only say nice things. Apparently, in terms of the iTunes algorithm, it doesn't matter how you're rated and it doesn't matter how you're reviewed. It's just that people are rating and reviewing you. Yeah, it's it, the more attention you get, apparently, like the better it is. But we would appreciate if you do have things to say that you start with the nice ones. Maybe like a a, a compliment constructive criticism compliment if you have, <laughs> if you have an issue like a like a seven layer dip yes <laughs> <laughs> or like a lasagna of you know you did this great but you could do this better and and you're great the end yeah <laughs> it's a lasagna of construction <laughs>